Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, Let's pray. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, as we're kind of doing the Proverbs, help us be wise, help us be skilled at life. Holy Spirit, give us insight into the areas that we overlook, that we can't see clearly, and just pray that this morning we could have some clarity. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Uh, this is our like final time in the book of Proverbs. We're towards the back half and uh, I want to start with an illustration. So there's a new season of the show Hard Knocks. People know what Hard Knocks is. I'm sure there's a couple of us. Hard Knocks, if you're not familiar, is uh, it, it happens uh, every football season. One team gets spotlighted for training camp, and they go behind the scenes. And you get to see like what these guys are really like, what the conversation really is. And this year... Uh, it's the New York Jets. Wah, wah, wah. Right? The Jets, the last two years, were 4 and 13 and 7 and 10. Why would we want to put them on TV? Well, the big, the big theme is they have a new quarterback. You might have heard of, him, heard of him. His name is Aaron Rodgers. He used to be the best quarterback in the NFL. Rodgers is coming in, and he's replacing a young man by the name of Zach Wilson, okay? Wilson, two years ago, was the second overall pick. He was going to be their franchise quarterback. A lot of, a lot of uh, organizations have to do this. They have to draft really high and hope they hit, you know, really big with a young quarterback. And he's been a disaster, uh, over the past two years, it's like he's averaged like under 10 touchdowns and like more interceptions every year. So really struggled in the NFL. Uh, but now he gets to learn from this grisly old veteran. Rodgers, if you're not familiar, is a 17-year vet. He is a 10-time pro bowler. And this first episode, it's not like it's the major uh, like theme of this first episode, but you get to see the mentoring of Zach Wilson. And if you just put yourself in Zach Wilson's shoes, I'm in New York. I have been terrible. It's pretty much cooked. I'm cooked. Like my, my career, I don't know what to do. And now you have, arguably, the smartest, wisest uh, cornerstone to learn from. And if there was anything that would revive the career of Zach Wilson, it would probably be this situation. To get to sit under every day and learn from the wisdom and the knowledge. And you can see it, like if you watch it, Aaron starts answering questions that uh, Zach doesn't even know to ask. Like in, in the, the, the real-time, real-life decisions. And it really, I think it is, it's, it's like kind of a life from the dead, lost, found situation. And I use that illustration as this, that's what the book of Proverbs is. It's the grisly old veteran that has been down the path, 
that has been through all the obstacles, that can see what you can't see, right? And we live in a culture that has a lot of competing narratives and morals, and yet we have this grisly veteran that we can lean on to so we can see clearly, and that we can dodge a lot of the obstacles in life, answers the questions and shows us what the real dangers are. And we need it. We really need it. Now, if you think about this, uh, think about marriage in our culture. Think about like people's unwillingness to want to commit because of all the divorces and the broken families that they've seen. Think about the holidays and every time you come face to face with your extended family and you go, wow, there is like brokenness all around me. Think about the strife in our culture. Think about the mental health issues that, that are rampant everywhere. And we pretend like we have the tools and are skilled for this life. And the reality is everywhere we look, there's a lack of discernment. There's a lack of knowledge. There's, it's people walking blindly and, and painfully learning these lessons one after the other. If there was only a grisly old veteran to give us insight into the things that we can't see so that our marriages, our culture, our own mental health, our, our, our families could, could flourish. We need skill in this life. You know, we need discernment. You know, the maxims of our culture, and I share these often, the thing, the pithy sayings that you hear that are common sense are like, follow your heart. Uh, you only live once. Be true to yourself. No regrets. Right? All of these have the semblance of wisdom. They're like half-truths. You hear them and like, yes, we should, we should tune into our deep desires sometimes. Life does have a nature where we should be somewhat aggressive in, in taking opportunities. But these sayings also are somewhat deceptive. They lead us down roads that often do lead to regret. That, that this unfettered, I'm going to attack my desires, often does lead to destruction. And then we're really confused. When all the common sense uh, wisdom of our culture leads us into really painful, broken relationships, uh, pain. We need timeless truths. And that's like what the book of Proverbs is, as we've gone through it. Some of the, some of the hallmark moments, you know. Uh, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. There's a way that appears right to a man, but the end it leads to death. You know, as we, we juxtapose with the cultural common sense in uh, the book of Proverbs, we learn life is less about finding yourself and more about mastering yourself. That, that there are character that needs to, to be developed, discernment, righteous decision-making decision in the moment. This is what Romans 2 is talking about, or Romans 12 talks about. It says, listen, this is kind of crazy. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world... Okay, what's common sense all around us, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
that as a Christian, your mind should be so full of the wisdom of God that when real life hits, you can test it. And you can go, what would God do here? What is the righteous way here? And you can approve. You, you can look at a situation and have discernment. Now, is it perfect? No. But this is the vision of wisdom that a Christian should have. Now, I can weigh it because I have so, so much scripture to weigh this situation on. So we can live life uh, without running into these landmines. So we can flourish. Okay. Today, today's topic specifically, I want to introduce with a quote from C.S. Lewis, and we're going to see if you guys can solve the mystery here, because it's not going to say the topic straight up. I'm going to, I'm going to quiz you. Here we go. C.S. Lewis shares this from the book Mere Christianity. He says, I now come to the part of Christian morals where they differ most sharply from all other morals. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when they see it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine they are guilty themselves. I've heard people admit they are bad-tempered, that they cannot keep their heads about girls or drink, or even that they are cowards. I do not think I've ever heard anyone who was not a Christian accuse himself of this vice, and at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who was not a Christian, who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault which makes man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Any guesses? Yeah, it's pride, right? We know it, we know it from this, right? We hate it in other people, right? You work with somebody who's prideful, you just build a little coalition. <laughs> Can you believe this chump, right? And blind to it in ourselves. It's kind of like bad breath or uh, passing gas, right? Disgusting in others, <laughs> but you can hardly notice your own, <laughs> right? All right, the book of Proverbs. So late in the book of Proverbs, there is this reoccurring theme. Chapter 8, or 28, verse 11. Here's the Proverbs on pride. It says, the rich are wise in their own eyes. One who is poor and discerning sees how deluded they are. What can the discerning poor see that the rich can't? God. That they are a created being living in a created universe. And we know this. If we live around it all the time, that success and wealth and security and comfort build a self-confidence that blind people, that they are made, that they are creation under a creator. Proverbs 28, 14, Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. This is another nod to the original kind of message of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? If you miss that and you live your life, you're destined to run into the landmines. 
Blessed is the person who recognizes they are under God and not above. And a hard heart, think of it. We don't think about this very much. A hard heart is one that has been exposed to the truth and knows and repeatedly ignores and denies and rebels. And it hardens the heart. It refuses to submit in that pride. You know, we know from another proverb, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Why? Because God doesn't like it. God does not like that. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar? I don't know if you're familiar with like the book of Daniel. One of the weird, well, that's a weird book, but one of the weirdest parts in a very crazy book is in chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar gets this really weird dream about a tree. Daniel tells him, uh, it's kind of about you, king. And uh, he says, you, you keep proclaiming yourself as someone who deserves honor and glory. And uh, an angel's going to chop that down. He's going to chop that glory down. A year later passes, and King Neb is just drinking an Arnold Palmer on top of his palace, thinking, look what I've done. And he hears a voice from heaven, and it says he loses his mind. And he goes and lives with the beasts of the earth. I don't, it eats grass. I don't know. It's super weird, but for seven times. So months or years, we don't know. But he, and he loses his mind because God wants to humble the most powerful man in the world to show, no, you are a created person. What's crazy is that's a mercy. That was a mercy to King Nebuchadnezzar, to be able to see life clearly. He praises God at the end of that chapter. Proverbs 28, 26. Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Sounds a lot like follow your heart. Be true to yourself. It's foolish to think that you, in yourself, have all truth. And that is one of the fundamental things. We think, man, if I look deep enough, I'm going to discover uh, unrevealed truth. That's just not how it is. The people who trust in the wisdom as revealed by God will avoid the trappings of this life and will be able to run the whole race. You know, sometimes when we think about pride, it feels somewhat victimless, but I want you to hear today, pride will ruin your entire life. It'll ruin your entire life. Pride tells a man not to forgive. Unforgiveness is like one of the prime virtues of someone who's stuck in pride. They will not forgive, they will not repent. Fractures countless relationships. So if you look at your family, your extended family, you're going to see it everywhere. You're going to see it ruins. Pride refuses to ask for help in the throes of addiction. Right? The people we love don't want that help. And it, not just, it doesn't just destroy them. It's a burden that everybody who loves them carries. Pride doesn't want to confess because exposing secret sin is humiliating. And so people will go years hiding the thing that's destroying them. It's like knowing you have cancer and refusing treatment. And worst, 
Pride will stop a person from submitting to God. You know, no one wants the humiliation of, in their teenage or adult years, of admitting they were wrong about God. You know, almost every human being grows up kind of building their case for why I don't really need to pay attention to this. And it is often only at rock bottom when the pride is fractured and there's nothing left to lose, there's no face to save, people will be honest with themselves. I'm a dependent being. I'm a created being. I'm not the master of my own destiny. I, I, I'm not the author of everything in my life. And that's why Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Once you are impoverished, inside you can be honest. I don't have it all. I don't have it all figured out. I am not in control. C.S. Lewis, no man in the world is free. Everyone in the world loathes it when they see it in others. The more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. It's ruinous. Let's take a deeper look. I want to start with this illustration. There was a documentary that came out this week on Netflix called Untold Johnny Football. Anybody get to watch this? Okay. I know this is a lot of sports illustrations. You're going to have to just deal with it. They're my best ones, okay? So, <clears throat> Johnny Manziel was a quarterback for Texas A&M University back in 2012-2013. And if you watch football that year, it was so awesome. This little, I don't know, he might have been maybe six foot, would run around the field, chucking it like, like backyard football. And uh, the, the, the big amazing thing is this kid's a freshman. So he's 19 years old. And at the time, and even today, who's the evil empire of college football? Do you know this? It's Alabama. They ruined it, okay? They ruined college football. Well, at 19, he rolls in with Texas A&M, and he beats Bama in Tuscaloosa. He's the first freshman in the history of the NCAA to win the Heisman Trophy his freshman year. Uh, this picture, do you see this right here? This was his touchdown celebration. They called it Money Manziel. <laughs> Just go to the stands like this. Oh, so amazing. Okay, so <laughs> this guy's a little cocky, right? He's got a, he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. He loved the attention. Imagine being 19 and being the best at what is the most important thing at your school. But he also loved to party. Win or lose, we booze. That was, that's, that was the mantra. So there is a, the, the documentary exposed a couple scenes. One was um, a Friday night before a game day on Saturday. There are all these pictures going around campus of him really drunk in a Scooby-Doo costume. <laughs> and he comes to a walkthrough on Saturday morning, and all the coaches know this, and he's apparently sweating, you know, sweating like crazy. They don't say anything, and they want to see how it plays out. He goes, and he scores like five touchdowns, and uh, they decide, well, that's just Johnny. 
They're going to let him just kind of roll like that. After his sophomore year, he wanted to go to the combine. So if you're not familiar with football, before you get drafted to the NFL, there's a big gathering where they take your speed and your accuracy and all the pro scouts take the best players and they kind of rank them in judgment. He wanted to go, but he knew, I will not pass the drug test on Saturday. So I want to go on Friday, but I don't know what I'm going to do about Saturday. So his agent developed the plan. We're going to have your dad fake a heart attack and go to the hospital. That way, on Saturday morning, you'll have a great excuse to dodge this drug test. The final thing, okay, this is maybe too long of an illustration. I think it's funny, though. Um, He gets drafted by the Browns, 22nd overall. He's going to make millions and millions of dollars. Uh, His coach comes to his agent and says, Johnny doesn't watch any tape. So you watch videotape to to learn how to break down defenses. It's really common in the NFL. And the agent goes, well, surely he's watched some. And, And he did. He literally was making millions of dollars, and he watched zero tape. He only lasted about two years. Anyways, Johnny Football, Conor McGregor, Muhammad Ali, you name it, there are some people we think about when we think about egomaniacs, right? The the arrogant, the prideful, the people who have been overcome by hubris, right? Those are the people that make us blind to our own pride. Because we are naturally trying to compare ourselves to maybe maybe the strongest examples of arrogance. And the very act of comparing is indicting. The very spot you compare, you're exposing yourself in your pride. Comparison is one of the primary litmus tests that you're struggling with pride. Yeah. So if you think, man, they're in this place in life and I'm here, or they're more attractive or or more successful, you're going to realize those are the spots where your pride is showing. Because pride naturally compares. And if I were to ask you, do you compare? You know what the most natural answer would be? Well, not as much as somebody else. <laughs> right? It feels that way. Well, I'm not as bad as, right? C.S. Lewis, expounding on this, says, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. It's the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. And Timothy Keller, in a similar vein, says, pride is a pleasure of being more than the next person. Lust may drive a man to sleep with a beautiful woman, but at least lust makes him want her. Pride drives a man to sleep with a beautiful woman just to prove he can do it and prove he can do it above the others. Pride destroys the ability to have any real pleasure. It's interesting how uh, insidious pride is. 
and how, how it does. You, you look at yourself and you take some honest evals about the places you find yourself comparing, and it's going to be a little scary to admit. Uh, Timothy Keller wrote a book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, and uh, something he points out theologically is one of the words that Paul uses is a little non-traditional for pride. Uh, traditionally, the word is hubris, like throughout Greek and Roman culture, and he uses this word uh, physio, which means puffed up, inflated, or swollen, Right? like a dissented stomach. It's like bloated, it's empty, it's painful, it's sensitive. And then he, he describes like, this is why we're so sensitive. It's because it's in pain. It's empty, it's hollow. We're constantly trying to fill it with validation, with external comparison. The amount you deal with comparison is a window into how much you're struggling with pride. It's funny, I... I I tell my kids all the time, hey, comparison robs joy. Comparison robs joy. Because it's the most natural thing in the world for kids. And we're, we're wired that way. But we are, there's a, there's a freedom in God to just be. To just be you. You don't have to compare. You don't have to judge where do I stand in every single category, beauty, Wealth, success, intelligence with everybody else because of God. There is a freedom option to just be God's created and beloved. And, you know, if you've heard the term from Ephesians, his workmanship. You know, he put in some, some time to figure out how he was going to craft you. And so he wasn't like, well, I'm going to make some. and I'm going to like them so much more and. No, he crafted you. He loves you individually. There's one other topic I want to hit about the subject of pride, but I want to start with this illustration. Has anybody seen this image before? Do we know what this is? The pale blue dot. The pale blue dot. So the the history behind this is uh, this is a photograph taken February 14th, 1990, by NASA's Voyager 1. Okay, so the Voyager got sent off from Earth in 1977. And so this thing shoots out and is traveling at like a bazillion miles an hour, and they let it go for 13 years, and then they program it to turn back around and take a picture of our solar system. And 3.7 billion miles away, this is the picture. And you see what that dot is? Any guesses what the dot is? That's Earth. Right? What a perspective shifter, right? (laughs) You're just like, oh, my gosh. Everything you know is on that dot. Every person you know, uh, every lifespan, every story, Everything that matters, everything that feels so important, like, rests on that dot. And what's helpful is you start realizing how big God is. Like, the universe is big. And God is not contained by this universe. He he sustains it. Right? The scope is unimaginable. And hopefully, 
you can go, oh, well, I am relatively small in, in this. Maybe you're like, well, I could see me on that dot. Like, <laughs> I own that dot. Yeah, you are relatively small. And you do have a maker. And you are a creative person. And it's easy for us to forgive this because pride says, I'm at the center of my universe. Right? And there's a lot of things in culture that want you to believe that too. That you're the center. That a happy life comes from you living at the center of your universe. But you're a created being. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. There's a psalm that when I, when I was looking at that picture, it made me think of uh, Psalm 2, 1 through 4. It says, Why did the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the, war, the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. And then it says, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs. It's kind of like Horton hears a who. Right? Horton's got that, what is it, like a dandelion and like this speck of dust on it. And just imagine the speck was like, we're overthrown, Horton. You know what I mean? It's just so ridiculous. But we need to see it. Like, that is ridiculous. We feel like we're masters of our own destiny. You're not. You're a created being. Amongst a lot of created beings on that little blue dot. If you can understand that per perspective, you can understand the wisdom of submitting to God. Coming under him. You know, the maker of this universe. Uh, there's all these scenes. One of the, so if you're familiar with the book of Job, uh, he, when, he, when, he comes, when God comes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Job, after chapters and chapters of argument, he just says, like, he asked some questions. Did you create anything? Do you know how this was made? And creation can humble us. It can put us into a, our place to realize, like, no, we, we aren't that big. You don't know better. And your life is best served submitting to the wisdom of the creator. It really is. I want to conclude with one more verse. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6. Uh, if you're familiar with the book of Peter, at the very end, he, he turns to the young men in the church. And, and this is relevant for all of us. But he says, uh, hey, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Right? In due time, he may lift you up. The blessings of God rest on the other side of your pride. So some of us are hiding certain things. The blessings of God are on the other side of our pride. Some of us are harboring unforgiveness. Don't want to admit faults. And some of us have just been straight running from our maker. But just know this. The blessings of God are on the other side of your pride. Humble yourself. And in due time, 
he will lift you up. All right, let's pray. Lord, make us wise to this. It's tempting uh, to underestimate the potency in this, our life, in this in our life. Help us have submitted hearts to you. Help us confront some of these blind spots that maybe may are a little bit clearer today. But God, for the sake of freedom in this life, for the sake of flourishing in this life, for the sake of uh, the health of our, our friendships, our marriages, our families, our mental health, and our cultures, help us uh, find freedom here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org. And we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.